Happy Halloween. How are you? So when Rob asked me to preach on Halloween, I um, immediately remembered like all of the weird things growing up that, oh, I forgot to take this off in the last service too. Thank you. Um, so I went to one of the churches that were not allowed to celebrate Halloween. Um, so we went to church and we like watched a play or listened to a sermon on like church ghost stories about demons, hell, sometimes the rapture, like all those weird things that don't make sense to anybody and they just wanted to like scare you because it was Halloween. And so when Rob was like, can you preach on Halloween? I was like, I don't want to do any of that because it's weird and just I don't want to do that. So I'm not going to do that. But I felt like if I didn't acknowledge that it was Halloween, it would also be weird. So that's my way of acknowledging that it's Halloween. So happy Halloween. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I'm going to pray and then we'll get started. Uh, God, just thank you that we're able to be here and come in um, just be together and um, have some food and just like be in each other's presence when it feels like that's hard to come by lately. Um, I just pray that we are able to find something that we can take into the week with us today. Amen. So the culture we live in moves almost at the speed of light. And since the development of the smartphone, we have the world at our fingertips and it's this constant go, go, go. And we reward ourselves internally, but we're also rewarded externally with things like raises and promotions. The more that we take on, the more that we do, the more that we kind of like bury ourselves in work. It's like, oh yeah, you're like successful, you're doing it right. And we see people like Elon Musk who says like, you can't be successful if you don't work like, it was like 80 hours a week or something like that, which is not even possible. And studies have shown that more than 50 hours a week actually hinders productivity, so. <laughs> but th- I mean, that's the message that we get in our culture is like 80 hours a week, go, 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 this constant like noise and rush and hustle is what's gonna get you further in life. That's how you're gonna get the American dream. And it's killing us all slowly <laughs> because it's not sustainable. And uh, burnout levels are at record high. And those, this was before the pandemic. The pandemic made it worse. But people are like crashing and burning. They're pushing themselves until their bodies give out or their minds give up, or oftentimes it's some combination of the two, and they just can't. And they quit their jobs, they run away, they like change their identities and do crazy things. <laughs> like they become totally different people because they just can't sustain their life that way. And Uh, Eckhart Tolle, spiritual teacher, um, says that the antidote for this rush, hurry, hustle culture that we live in is stillness. And he talks about this, and most of his work actually talks about this, but his definition in his book, Stillness Speaks, says this. Is stillness just the absence of noise and content? No, it is intelligence itself, the underlying consciousness out of which every form is born. And how could that be separate from who you are? The form you think you are came out of that and is being sustained by it. So this book and probably all of his work really emphasizes the importance of not just stillness as a form of rest, but the like absolute necessity for our own well-being to bring ourselves to the moment that we're in and not constantly rushing and trying to get to the next thing, always worrying and anxious about like, okay, well, I have 700 other things that I need to do. Can we just hurry up and get through this thing that I'm doing right now? Just moving away from this concept of like using every moment as a means to an end to get to the next thing, but like just being in the moment, that that's actually crucial for our soul, that we are able to engage in the present moment. And I'm, (laughs) I wrote this sermon more for myself than probably for any of you. 
Um, I am keenly aware of my own inability to like enter into the present moment. This has been my entire life, um, but especially having kids. It's I live our lives kind of like, okay, we have story time on Wednesday, and then we have church on Sunday, or we have like, Brian's off on Saturday, so we can like, if I can just make it to story time on Wednesday, we'll be okay. And then we can just make it to Brian's off on Saturday, we'll be okay. And it's like, we're constantly just trying to make it to the next thing. Uh, it's like all survival mode until then. Um, and part of that is just living with toddlers because it is very mundane and boring and repetitive and it's like the same thing and they're t trying to kill each other or kill themselves like all the time. Um, so part of that is just the nature of having kids, but this isn't new. I've done this my entire life. Um, at I remember when I was 21, I, my sister and I went to Disney World and it was the first vacation that I paid for myself. And we saved up for like a, a really long time. We spent months planning this vacation and we were so excited. I was like, this is it, this is gonna be my break. Like, I'm a grown up now, I like paid for my own vacation. We're gonna go to the food and wine festival and like actually get to participate this time. It was gonna be like the best thing ever. <laughs> we were so excited. And I remember I worked doubles. I worked as often as I could, just trying to like make it through to my trip to Disney World. And so when we landed in Orlando, it was like, okay, we made it. I can rest, I can relax, I can finally like do the thing that I've been waiting for for a very long time. And kind of as the week went on, I realized that it was just more of like same thing, different place. And I was so in a hurry to get to the next thing, even at Disney World, the thing that I had been waiting for, that I wasn't able to enjoy any of it. And I rem very vividly remember crying myself to sleep the last night we were there because I was so disappointed. And it, it just, just the trip didn't live up to the expectation. I'd spent so long like hyping this thing up in my head and it just didn't even come close. And it wasn't because Disney World isn't amazing, because it is, I guess depending on who you are, I think it's amazing. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, and it was, it should have been what I had expected it to be, but instead of being in the moment and enjoying it, I was worried that we were not gonna make the next ride or we weren't gonna make the next show or we were like, how are we gonna get food in between each thing that we have planned? And I wasn't present in the moment for any of it. And I missed out. Um, my, I, I missed out. I wasn't able to enjoy even the good things. Um, and I was using something that I thought was beneficial to me, that I thought had saved me from a lot of anxiety and depression. Um, it was like a coping technique that I'd learned early in childhood. Um, and I thought it was serving me and it wasn't. It was actually hindering me. It was making my depression and my anxiety even worse. And when I, I came to this realization at 21 and then just kind of was like, um, I don't want to deal with that because that sounds hard. So I just like kept pressing through and <laughs> like living my life in that way until the pandemic. Um, and I literally couldn't because the world shut down. There was no scheduling events. I couldn't, we couldn't go to story time. I couldn't schedule, like we didn't have church. There was nothing for me to look forward to. It was the same thing every day. Get up, make breakfast, keep the kids entertained enough that they don't kill each other or I don't want to kill them or some combination of the two <laughs> and just like make it through to bedtime and then get up and do it all over again. <laughs> there was nothing to like power me through that mundane. And I was forced to be in the present moment. And that was the last place I wanted to be because all of the pain, all of the trauma that I had been running from my entire life with busyness was in the present. And so when I entered into the present moment, it was like, hey, you have to deal with this. We can't ignore it anymore. There's nowhere for you to go. You can't run to the next thing. You have to face this. And that was the last, absolute last thing I wanted to do. And there was, a, I mean, I had my fair share of like losing my mind and spiraling completely out of control. But 
I, I mean, what was best for myself and for my kids and my family was that I actually like processed through that and kind of learned more to be in the moment and work through some of these things, right? And, um, sorry, my things got out of order. So, um, when we are, John Mark Comer says that hurry is violence on the soul, this life of like constant go, 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 trying to move through um, now to get to the next thing is violence on the soul. In other words, he's saying busyness cuts off our connection with our own soul, um, with creation around us, with the depth of who we are. Instead of becoming focused on, instead we become so focused on our to-do list that our accomplishments begin to, like we begin to identify ourselves with our accomplishments. Um, and we know deep down that, that that can be ripped away in an instant, and that's not really who we are, but busyness lies to us and tells us that our to-do list and our accomplishments, the things that we do, are who we are, and that that's what defines us. And I think we, we struggle with finding our identity because we're so wrapped up in trying to identify with the things that we do. And we forget that our identity can't really, like, we don't have words to put to that. It's so much deeper than anything that we could ever explain with words. And um, I think this is what Comer is saying when he says that hurry is violence on the soul, that it cuts off our connection with ourselves, it cuts off our connection with others, uh, but most importantly, it cuts off our connection with God in a way that um, I don't think we really take time to realize. And so I'm sure most of you have heard this metaphor if you've been in church um, any extent of time, or even if you haven't, of walking with Jesus. So it's kind of taught in a way where if you are like reading your Bible and being faithful, you're walking with Jesus. Um, but if you choose to sin, which is normally like you're doing something somebody told you not to, you're walking away from Jesus. And this metaphor, though it has its own problems, <laughs> I think we're going to continue with it. Um, we would say that hurry, this like busyness and hurry pace that we have is not walking away from Jesus, but walking in front of Jesus. I don't know if you've ever done this. My kids are like two feet tall. Well, one of them is like two feet tall. And they walk really slow because they have little tiny legs. Um, and I walk at like the fastest pace like known to man. And so I'm like walking and where'd they go? And I'm like turning around like, <laughs> what happened? Where'd they go? And so when we're, that's what we're doing. And Jesus takes this like slower, more methodical pace. And we're in like such a rush that we don't even realize he's 10 steps behind us. And we're like, we're just like not even paying attention, right? And I think Jesus is really tries to model this more methodical, slowed pace. And we see that throughout scripture. Let's look at Luke chapter 8, uh, verse 43 through 48, if you want to turn there with me. So it says, Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years, and though she had spent all she had on physicians, no one could cure her. She came up behind Jesus and um, touched the fringe of his clothes, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. Then Jesus asked, Who touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and press in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I noticed that power had gone out from me. When the woman saw that she could not remain hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So everyone around him, around Jesus, the disciples included, are like in a hurry. We have to be at nec this next thing in 10 minutes, and they're in this like so busy, crowded area. Everyone's just kind of rushing and running around, and they're all bumping into each other. 
And Jesus is aware enough in the moment that he's able to feel the difference between someone like brushing past him and bumping him and someone intentionally just barely like grazing him, his clothes. I don't know that I could tell the difference like between someone like touching me and bumping into me in a crowd like that. Like that's, that sounds almost impossible, right? And, but Jesus is aware enough, he's present enough in the moment that he can see the difference in those, th- that feeling. Um, and then he does something that's really amazing. And he pauses and he says, I want to know who that was and why. He's saying to her, I know that you touched me in a way that you didn't want to be noticed, but I'm taking the time. I know that we have something else to be at. The disciples <laughs> know that we have something else to be at, but I'm taking the time to say, I want to know who you are and what you have to say, that you are important. He's open to interruption. And the disciples, I mean, even in this conversation, they're like, dude, let's just keep going. Like, <laughs> who cares who touched you? There's all these people here. Let's just go. And he's saying, no, no, this is important. She is important. Pausing is important. We need to pay attention to what's going on. And um, again, Jesus embodies this like slow pace kind of throughout scripture. And another story where we see this pretty significantly, and I won't read the whole thing, is in Luke chapter 10, where Mary and Martha, um, Martha invites a bunch of people over to her house, and they're having like a party. And she's rushing around trying to get everything done, and her sister Mary is sitting down with Jesus, listening to him talk. And Martha comes around the corner, and she's like, what are you doing? I need your help. Get up. Like, we have things to do. And Jesus, instead of reprimanding Mary for not helping her sister, he says to Martha, like, it can get done later. Like, don't worry about all of that. She is doing the thing that I would choose to do. She's taking a break, knowing that the rest of it will get done when it gets done, basically. Um, And this story is kind of sandwiched between two different pretty small passages. But in Luke chapter 9, right before this story, um, there's a verse that kind of caps this passage off that says, No one who puts a hand on the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And then after the story of Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 12, there's a verse that says, Do you not see the lilies of the valley? They don't spin and toil. And I mean, these three things are all kind of like stacked here together. And anytime we see repetition in scripture, it's the author's way of saying like, this is important. You need to pay attention because this is the thing that I'm trying to say. This is the thing that matters. So we're saying it more than once just to make sure that you get the point. And that's what Luke is doing here by saying this um, over and over. But these passages specifically um, in Luke 9 and then again in Luke 12 are used to perpetuate harm. Um, They're often used as to say, especially the one where it's like whoever turns his back on while pushing the plow is used as a way to like, Forgive and forget is water under the bridge. Like, just move on, especially in abusive situations. It's used to say, like, that doesn't matter. It's fine. Don't dwell in the past. Or the scripture of, like, the the flowers are dressed. Like, you shouldn't worry about what you wear. And I don't think that that was the intention here. I think Jesus and Luke are tying these stories all together as a way to say, like, you can be in the moment and be present. And that is when we experience grace and love to the fullest. Those moments when we're actually where we are, where our feet are planted, and we're not wandering off with our minds trying to get to the next thing or worried about the past, we bring heaven to earth here right now. That's when we experience heaven on earth is when we're in the moment 
and not constantly worrying about the past or dreaming about the, or worrying about the future, dreaming about the past or mourning the past, sometimes some combination of the two, right? And I don't think Jesus is expecting when he's saying these things, he's not expecting us to live like essentials don't matter. He w- I mean, I don't think Jesus would ever say like, don't pay your bills, I'll take care of it. Like that's <laughs> that doesn't make sense. It's irrational and it's very dangerous. And I know that there it sounds very privileged to be able to say that, right? Because people do have bills that they have to pay and there are several people that can't pay them. And so when I'm saying enter into stillness and be in the present moment, I'm not saying pretend like the bills don't exist, pretend like the past doesn't have its own trauma and its own pain. I'm saying you can be in this moment, be where your feet are and not let the past ruin the moment or let the future ruin the moment. You can still be and experience this moment to the fullest while still acknowledging, yes, I have bills to pay and yes, I have trauma and pain from the past or maybe this moment's not as good as the past and I wish it was different. I wish it was like yesterday without fully ruining all of this. So if we're going to use my Disney World example, we can go back to that of like, okay, I'm on the Little Mermaid, which is my favorite ride at Disney World. I love the songs. It's super fun. And when we went, when I went with my sister, she wanted to ride it twice because there was no line. We were able to get on and get like right back on at the end. And so I was like, we can't, we shouldn't do that. We have to be at another show in like 15 minutes. We don't have time to ride this ride again. And she was like, no, no, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. So I very reluctantly got on this ride with her. And the whole time I was like, I'm hungry. I'm not gonna be able to get food because you made me ride this stupid ride again. And then we got off and I was like, hey, I don't even remember anything that happened. Um, (laughs) I like did not enjoy this at all because I was so focused on like the next thing, right? So if I was being present in the moment, I could realize, like, I'm literally strapped into a moving ride. I cannot get off. (laughs) So, like, I can either enjoy this or I can be worried about not getting food. Like, if I could go back, I would choose to just enjoy it. And if we don't make it to the show, then there's probably hundreds of them because it's Disney World. And they always have shows. And uh, we could figure it out, right? It'll get done eventually. Uh, A more, like, real-world practical example would be, Say you walk and you go and check the mail and you get this huge stack of bills, which that's always the only thing that's ever in the mail, right? It's always bills. And to be present in the moment is to not look at this and think, oh my gosh, how am I going to tackle this whole mountain? Like we barely have money to put food on the table and now I have like hundreds of bills. Like what are we going to do? Or thinking like, oh, I wish we hadn't financed that car because now we can't afford other things or now we can't even afford to pay for the car or whatever or some sort of like worrying of or wishing that the past had been different or wishing like I I wish I could go back to childhood and not have to pay bills at all you know it's just being in that moment and realizing okay yes I have bills to pay um, and we're going to start with one do I can I pay this one right now in this moment what can I do to pay this bill and if the answer is no you ask yourself okay well, what can be done? Can I do something in this moment right now to pay this bill? And then moving on to the next one and the next one and the next one, one at a time until you're in a different moment, right? It's being practical and acknowledging like, yes, people have bills to pay. Yes, people have trauma. But you can be in the moment and not let the past or the future ruin where you are right now. Be where your feet are. So studies have shown that 77% of people admit, um, which that word admit means that it's probably closer to 100 and the other 
people didn't want to be honest, uh, <laughs> that they admit to reaching for their phone when they don't immediately have something else to do. And I know I'm guilty of this. Like, oh, we're waiting in line or even at a red light. I can't, I mean, that's why you always hear people honking at red lights because somebody's on their phone because they didn't want to sit there and just like watch the light. So they want something to do. So like all those moments where you pull out your phone and look at your screen used to be moments of just boredom. Like we would just have to sit and wait at the doctor's office. We just have to like stare at the people at the coffee shop <laughs> or read a book or something like, and now we just stare at our phones. And all of those moments of boredom have been stolen away from us. And those moments of boredom were callbacks to our soul to find rest. And they were restorative for us. Even if it kind of felt a little like mundane, it was rest for our soul in a way that we don't get anymore because we have the world at our fingertips. And um, John Mark Comer wrote a book called um, The Ruth Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which um, surprisingly was actually really good. And in his book, he talks about um, like different ways that you can kind of add some of this stillness, this slowed pace back into your life. And he has a theme here of that, it, like the all of them in the list have to do with screens. So he's on to something. And it's uh, the first one that I thought was actually really helpful was when you get up in the morning, um, most people, their first instinct is like unplug their phone and look and see like how many emails do I have, what I have on my to-do list, what day is it, what's the weather like, whatever. So instead of doing that, whether it be five minutes while you're brewing coffee or taking a shower, or hour or two hours or however long that you can do this, um, leave your phone where it charges and go and do something else. Take a few minutes to be present and just wait for the coffee to brew. Watch the coffee brew. Like be in that moment instead of looking at your phone or thinking about the things on your to-do list. And another pretty simple act he suggests is running one errand a day without your phone. Leave it at home, leave it in the car, whatever. Um, so for me, I have headphones in all the time. I'm always listening to podcasts. It's like my favorite thing to do. So anytime I go anywhere, I have headphones in. So I've started going to check the mail without my headphones. I'll leave them at home. Um, and our mailbox is a community mailbox, so it's a little bit of a walk. So I have like a few minutes to just listen to the wind, listen to the kids playing outside, listen to the cars driving by. And it seems super simple, but it's something that's like been actually profound of like, hey, there's life happening around me that I like never pay attention to. Like there's people in my neighborhood that have kids. I didn't know that they had kids <laughs> because I'm never paying attention. Um, or another example he has is replace something digital or yeah, replace something digital with something analog. So instead of keeping your to-do list on a computer or on your phone, actually write it down by hand. Or something that's like sounds almost even more impossible, buy a real alarm clock with buttons. <laughs> like, don't use your phone. <laughs> so, because I know for me, when my alarm goes off, I like pick it up and I'm like, okay, I have like however many things on my phone. So instead of that being the first thing you look at because you're pushing the snooze button, you just reach over and hit the alarm clock. Um, and then you can get up and kind of do some other things and kind of like move into your screen. So that way you're, you are in charge of your screens rather than your screens controlling you. And John Mark Comer goes pretty extensively into this idea of like, don't let your screens control you. And he's not anti-screens. Like most of his work is done on YouTube. So he's pretty invested <laughs> in the internet and the use of technology. He's not saying like just get rid of it completely. He's saying don't let it control you. You be in charge of it versus the other way around. Um, we don't have to be hours on end burning at the, um, burning the stake at both ends or the candle at both ends. Yeah, that's what it is. Burning the candle at both ends, constantly hours on end, right? We, um, and when we're doing these, practices, we're inviting stillness into our lives and we're walking at a pace more similar to Jesus. 
And in doing so, we are welcoming interruption. We're welcoming, welcoming someone to touch us. And we're saying like, hey, you're here. I acknowledge you, you're important. I want to be with you. I want to spend time with you in whatever capacity that might look like. Um, and I think more importantly, when we walk at a pace more similar to Jesus, we find peace. And there's so much peace lagging in our world, right? We're, it's just like, it feels like everything's falling apart. But we find ourselves in a place where we're open, when we're open to interruption, it's like the m- more mundane things about life actually become pretty beautiful. And there's something peaceful and hopeful about that beauty of like, yes, I do the same thing every day. But it's amazing that like my, ki- my neighbors have kids. That's cool. I didn't know that. <laughs> like, you know, just it, there's so much beauty in the mundane. Um, and there's one last thing I want to address before we close. And it's that um, there are a lot of similarities here. And I think a lot of times when people talk about stillness, they include it as rest. Um, and maybe for you, sitting in total silence is restful. It's not for me. That's like my worst nightmare. Um, <laughs> so I would say that rest is more doing things that bring you life. So exercise, reading a book, watching TV, um, spending time with family, shopping, whatever it is that brings you life, that like it feels restorative for you, that's rest. Stillness, in the sense that I'm talking about, is not the same as rest. It's these like moments of just silence, of solitude, of being aware of your surroundings, of bringing yourself where your feet are, not running away with the thoughts in your mind. And in Psalms chapter 1, it talks about the righteous being firmly planted by a stream of water. And in verse 3, it says, um, and whatever he, being uh, the righteous man planted next to the water, does, he will prosper. The tree doesn't have to do anything other than exist where it is. It's planted in the ground. The water does all of the work. It flows in and around and through this tree, and the tree prospers. If you've ever seen a tree planted by a creek or a lake or whatever, the roots are massive. And the trees, the leaves are always green. They're like hardly ever change color. It's just like full of life, brimming with life. And this passage is saying like, that's as humanity, like that's where trees planted by water. But we're constantly rushing and trying to find the source of water, trying to find the source of our identity, of trying to find peace and happiness and our accomplishments that we forget that we're, we have everything we need. We're just, we just need to be present in it and realize that we have everything that we need in this present moment. Um, I will pray one more time. God, just thank you so much for um, stillness and that we were able to come today and sit together um, for just a moment. I just pray that as we go into the week, we can find a slower pace. In your name, amen. So may you find um, the ability to slow down, even if it's just a little, and invite these little moments of stillness into your life this week. Grace and peace be with you.